Hi, parents, guardians, and caretakers, caregivers of all types. I'd like to take a moment, as usual, before the podcast begins, to thank you for choosing me to be your child's reader for the next half hour or so. You can find the list of stories and songs in the show notes on your platform of choice and a link to all things Raggedy Auntie via Linktree. This podcast can only happen with generous support from our patrons and those who choose to buy me a coffee, and I want you to know that I especially appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening, and I am so glad that you are here. Hello, my sweet friends. It's nice to see you again. Come along and read with me. It's my favorite place to be when Raggedy Auntie reads. Hello, my sweet friends. Welcome back to the Book Nook. I'm Raggedy Auntie, and I am so excited to tell you what I have here in my hands. When I was about your age, I would wait and wait for a very special piece of mail. It wasn't a letter from my grandmother, although I really did love those. It wasn't even a package sent from my own auntie, who would travel the world as a flight attendant on an airplane. I simply adored what she sent to me, and sometimes it would arrive on the same day as my special mail, which was always super exciting. My special mail was called a literary magazine, and specifically this one was called Cricket. Have you heard of a literary magazine or Cricket before? Maybe you've heard of Highlights. These are all collections of stories and poems and pictures that you get in the mail or at a newspaper stand or sometimes at school or in a bookstore that's published about every month or so. They've been around for a very long time. And today we are going to explore some of the things that people have found in literary magazines for ages. Let's get started. This first one was published in a journal of children's literature, a journal being like a magazine, but that magazine was lost forever. Lucky for us, it was also included in a later book of collected stories, and that's where I found it. Sometimes the stories that we find in our books started in the magazines and sometimes a story about Christmas came out in the spring magazine or Thanksgiving came out at Halloween and that's the case of this one. Let's hear it. Three Guesses by Maud Lindsay. Once upon a time, there was a grandmother who spent Thanksgiving Day with her children and grandchildren. She had three grandchildren, Isabel, Jack, and Jamie. And as soon as she had taken off her cloak and bonnet, she sat down in Mama's big rocking chair and called them to her. I have a present for each one of you in my brown bag, she said. But before I give them to you, you must guess what they are. Oh, Grandma, said Isabel and Jack and Jamie, and they watched her with wondering eyes as she opened the bag and took out a bundle. Jamie's present is in this bundle, she said. 
It's red on the outside and white on the inside, and in the middle there is something brown. I believe I know what it is, said Jack. So do I, said Isabel, but Grandma would not let them guess. Jamie must guess it himself, she said. So Jamie guessed a ball and a flower and a piece of candy and everything else he could think of, but he could not guess what was in the bundle till Grandma let him smell it. Then he knew. An apple, a red apple, he cried. And when he opened the bundle there, sure enough, was a big round apple. It was red on the outside and white on the inside. And when he had eaten it and found in the middle, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven brown seeds. The next bundle was for Jack. Grandma shook it up and down and something rattled inside. Marbles, guessed Jack, but Grandma shook her head. Listen to this, she said. Riddle me, riddle me, what can it be? Hickory dickory fell from a tree. Run for a hammer and crickety crack. Here are some goodies for little boy Jack. Nuts, nuts, cried Jack. Hickory nuts from the big hickory tree that grows in your front yard. And he was right, too. Now it's my turn, said Isabel, and I'm going to try to guess my present with my very first guess. But when Grandma took out a little bundle wrapped in tissue paper and put it in Isabel's hands, she was as puzzled as the others had been. Be very careful, said Grandma, for if you break your present, you will never be able to mend it, no matter how hard you try. May I ask questions about it? asked Isabel. Yes, said Grandma. You may ask three questions, but when I have answered those, I will close my lips and will not answer another one. Then Isabel asked three questions. Hmm. What color is my present? White, said Grandma. Oh, um, where did it come from? The haystack, said Grandma. Who told you it was there? The old white hen, said Grandma, and she closed her lips just as she said she would. But Isabel knew what her present was without another word. I knew as soon as you said it came from the haystack, she said. It's an egg. And so it was a beautiful, fresh, white egg. Isabel had it for her breakfast the very next morning. My, said Grandma as the children gathered around to kiss her and thank her. What good guessers my grandchildren are! I'm sure that no matter what time of year we hear that story, the guessing part is always the most fun. One thing about literary magazines is that they always have more than just stories and poems. The magazine that I used to receive as a child, Cricket, always had a word game in it. I learned that these games have been around as long as words have been around. This next one is one of my favorite styles of word games called Family Coach. Get ready. We're about to play. Mr. and Mrs. Brown's Journey in the Family Coach. This is a word game that was published in the 1906 edition of Chatterbox Magazine. 
The following is a story written for the family coach, a game in which the players sit around the room while someone reads or tells a story. So I want everyone who's listening to gather in one room. Maybe you need to pause it, go find somebody to play the game with you, but you're all going to get into one room. And then every time you hear this word and sound, family coach, or just coach, everybody has to change places. So let's practice. Family coach. Good job. Coach. Great. Now, there's all different characters that everybody can play. So, right now, choose who will be John Brown. And when you hear the name of your character, that's when you stand up. John Brown. Who's John Brown? What about the coachman? Oh. Mrs. Brown. Hee <laughs> hee. Cushions. Ooh. Rugs. Now, the cushions and rugs oh. could be one or two or three or four or five people. It could be so many people. Ooh. Ah. Oh. Who will be the step? Horses. <laughs> the dog. <laughs> what about windows? Seats, wheels, curtains, the door, how about the lamp, and finally the box. Now that everybody knows who they are, and you might want to pass out slips of paper if you're playing this with a large group, we will read the poem, Mr. and Mrs. Brown's Journey in the Family Coach. Now remember, family coach, everybody changes places, and you stand up when you hear your character's name and sound. Whilst sitting by the fire one night, John Brown (laughs) said to his wife, My dear, I think we'll go and see your sister, Mrs. Fife. We'll travel by the family coach, owned by the good John Brown. There's not a better coach and man in any market town. The morn was bright and frosty, and there the family coach stood ready in the stable yard of the fine old inn, the Roach. The coachman was arranging his cushions and his rugs Ah. and passengers were giving their friends their parting hugs now fare ye well goodbye to you and may you be safe today oh accidents the coachman said are never in our way the step is very easy not high at all he said and you'll find the cushions Mm. quite as soft as any feather bed The horses are good and fast ones. They never need the whip. But the whip, of course, I always take in case of any slip. My good dog, Bruno, always comes. So I hope you'll not object. My passengers in danger, he would pluckily protect. The windows are so very large. They make it cheerful, too. So you may view the country, which to some may be quite new. Come, take your seats. This family coach can no longer wait. Or else at night, the coachman said, we shall be very late. The whip he cracked, the wheels went round so very, very fast. Some people at each other, some anxious glances cast. 
The coachman said his horses were the steadiest in town. I'm sure I don't agree with him, cried frightened Mrs. Brown. Take care, my dear, or I am sure you will jolt off of your seat. Indeed, I'm sure I shall be glad when we your sister meet. The dog by this was far behind, but now there was a hill up which the coachman's horses walked and at the top stood still. "'Twas down this hill, the coachman oh. said, that Benson's got smashed up when his dog, Bruno's <laughs> mother, was but a little pup. And so they traveled on again through village and through town, but all around the country now looked white instead of brown, for snow was falling thickly, and the rugs ah. about their feet did not feel half as warm and snug as when they took their seat." The step outside was covered over with snow some inches thick. The hedges, they were covered too. You scarce could see a stick. This family coach was said to be the warmest in the town. My dear, I don't agree again, said angry Mrs. Brown. <laughs> Let's draw these curtains, for my seat is in a horrid draft. At which the other passengers looked up, and then they laughed. There's so very little light comes through these windows now, they said. And if these curtains are drawn round, we might all be in bed. I never go to sleep until I've had a supper good, and among my fellow passengers I don't see one who would. I'm much afraid we shan't get one at any rate tonight. The wheels scarce go. This family coach is in a pretty plight. Let's put the dog inside with us. He is so cold, poor chap, and he may sleep upon this rug. Ah. If you object, my lap. The coachman's oh. voice was broken quite. He urged the horses so, <laughs> and all of this was of no avail. The horses could not go. The snow was drifted high. The coachman oh. opened the door. I do believe the horses are also filled with dread. <laughs> I never knew this happened to my family coach before, and if I'd known, I would have brought two good, strong horses more. <laughs> the horse that is the least done up is Jolly Little Clown, and by your leave, if you'll stay here, I'll ride off to the town. In two good hours, I will come back with four good horses <laughs> more, and long before the morning comes, you'll find your own friend's door. They shouted out as in one voice, and coachman, oh. if you please, do bring us something back to eat, if only bread and cheese. All right, the coachman oh. said, and here's my lamp, for it is dark, although the little light it gives is not much more than a spark. If you, good sirs, would take my place and mind these horses <laughs> three, the ladies on the cushions quite Ooh. warm and snug might be. This Family coach contains a box, and in it you will see a poker and some other things, and they might useful be. With this, the coachman oh. said goodbye and mounted on the clown. He left the family coach to reach Braintree, a market town. A hunt was made. The box was found just underneath the seat. The ladies mm. lay on cushions with the rugs wrapped around their feet. Ooh, ah. I'll take this good strong poker, said brave old Mr. Brown. <coughs> and if a robber comes to me, I'll just knock him down. 
Look sharp. Here's someone coming. Oh dear, what shall I do? I would jump into the family coach if the door would but undo. Oh, if I could but get in safe, cried out poor Mr. Brown. I'm sure I will again stay in my little town. Here, take this poker, do you, chap, and I will stand behind. And if the fellow gives you one, be brave and never mind. If I were just as young as you, I should enjoy it quite. Oh, dear, oh, dear, I do declare the fellow is in sight. All right, all right, a voice cried out. I am your own coachman, and I, to get you safe to town, have hit upon a plan. This drift is only 50 yards, and then the road is clear. This horse (laughs) can take the ladies through to me, it does appear. But such a man as Mr. Brown, I'm sure he will not mind, but walk right bravely through the snow. Unless he's left behind. Not so indeed, he did reply. If on a horse you get, I shall as well, for else I know my two feet shall get wet. And so he did. Although they laughed and called him Johnny Brown, <laughs> he safe was carried through the snow on the horse called Little Clown. The walk was done in safety, but when they passed through the wood, old Mr. Brown... He clasped his wife as tight as air he could. But when they reached the sister's door, he said to Mrs. Fife, By family coach, I ne'er again will travel with my wife. I hope everybody got their stand-ups and sit-downs correct. If not, you can play it again. Or write one of your own. Whoa, that was so much fun. Why not take a break? Catch your breath and listen to this short poem. The Daffodils by William Wordsworth Published in Volume 7 of The Literary World I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high o'er vales and hills, when all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils, beside the lake, beneath the trees, fluttering and dancing in the breeze. Continuous as the stars that shine and twinkle on the Milky Way, they stretched in never-ending line along the margin of a bay. Ten thousand saw I at a glance tossing their heads in sprightly dance the waves beside them danced but they outdid the sparkling waves in glee a poet could not but be gay in such a jocund company I gazed and gazed but little thought what wealth the show to me had brought for oft when on my couch I lie in vacant or in pensive mood they flash upon the inward eye which is the bliss of solitude and then my heart with pleasure fills and dances with the daffodils so many of these literary magazines have stories of mystery and discovery because they were more affordable than books These magazines were collected by many children and families. I love to imagine children going to school or church or meeting to play and talking about what they'd read in the latest magazine. Mystery and adventure stories are the best kinds of stories to discuss or act out with our friends. Here is one of my favorite mysteries. The Mysterious Chest by S. Clarendon published in the 1905 edition of Chatterbox Magazine. 
It is hard lines it should rain on the first day of the holidays, said George, somewhat gloomily, as he looked out at the heavy downpour which was fast changing the tennis lawn into a miniature lake. No chance of a game, sighed Pelham, thinking of the swamped cricket field. If you two lads want an indoor job, I have one for you, and one that has baffled me, said Mr. Carteret, looking up from his paper. What is it, father? asked Pelham, the eldest boy. A lot of things were sent here from Vale Place last month, and amongst them an oak chest, which I cannot unlock, try as I may, so I waited for you two, as I know you are more handy with your fingers than I am, answered his father. We will soon tackle it, said Pelham confidently. Father, here broke in George, I thought you were to have Vale Place when old Mr. Pelham died. So did I, said Mr. Carteret shortly. But... It's left to someone else, is it not? went on George, anxious to understand the matter, which had greatly puzzled both boys for some weeks. Yes, I meant to tell you about it when you came home, said their father. It was no good writing bad news, but you must know it sooner or later. You know, he continued, that my father and Mr. Pelham were brother officers in India, When both my parents were swept away in one week by cholera, Mr. Pelham brought me home to Vale Place, where I was brought up as his son and heir. But after his death a few months ago, no will could be found, though he had repeatedly told me that he had made one, leaving Vale Place to me and my children. Then who has Vale Place now? asked George as his father paused a minute. It passed to the air, said Mr. Carteret. He is a distant cousin who cares nothing about the property and means to sell it for building land. What a shame, said Pelham hotly. Well, I don't know that there is any shame about it, for this cousin has never lived there, and it has none of the old associations for him that make me regret its loss so deeply. He seems a very considerate man in some ways, and begged to be allowed to send me all the old furniture which stood in my room at Vale Place, thinking I should value it, as indeed I do. So that's how the old chest came to me, and here are the keys. See what you can do with them. Come on, George, said Pelham. Where's the chest, father? Upstairs in the attic. You will want a candle. It's in a dark corner, was the answer. I'm coming too, announced Nanny. I want to see what's in the chest. I've fed my birds, and I may not stay out in the rain. Little girls should not be inquisitive, said George, who dearly loved to tease his sister. You may see more than you want. Oh, George, what? said Nanny in rather a shaky voice. What do you think is in the chest? You'll see by and by. And remember, I've warned you, said George mysteriously. Nanny, though alarmed, bravely stood her ground and watched the two boys as they tried every key on the bunch. Then, finding none that fitted, they used a screwdriver and at last were successful. Now, Nanny, shouted George as Pelham lifted the heavy lid. Look out, I'm sure I heard something stirring inside. Pelham held up the candle and looked eagerly into the dark chest. Empty, quite empty, he cried in a tone of the utmost disgust. Nothing at all in it but an old letter, and he threw the paper on the ground by the side of the chisel. I told you so, began Nanny, but the sentence was hardly out of her mouth before she gave a little shriek and leapt high in the air. A rat! Oh, a horrid rat, shrieked the child. It ran over my foot. 
George did not shriek, but he too was startled, for the rat had appeared so suddenly. It came right out of the chest, he said, as if to excuse his alarm. It could not, said Pelham bluntly. I was looking into the chest when Nanny shrieked, and there was nothing in it. That I know, I saw no rat anywhere. But I saw it, said George. Look, look, he shouted excitedly. There it goes, just by your foot. You may depend upon it. This box has a false bottom. Let's turn it over and see. I believe you're right, George, said Pelham. Hold the candle, Nan, and we will see where this rat came from. The chest, empty as it appeared to be, was yet so heavy that it was with difficulty that the two boys could turn it over. But they did it at last. And now there was no doubt where the rat had come from, for the floor was strewn with little bits of nibbled paper, and there was a biggish hole in the false bottom by which he had evidently gnawed his way into the chest. Now then, the fun is beginning, exclaimed Pelham excitedly. We must get inside this false bottom. It's full of old letters. I can see that much. Perhaps we shall find a love letter of William the Conqueror to Joan of Arc. Oh, no, you will not, said Nanny wisely, for Joan of Arc lived many reigns after William I. I read about her only last week. But neither Pelham nor George heeded Nanny's superior information. So busy were they, prizing off the somewhat thin layer of wood which formed the false bottom of the chest. It gave way at last and disclosed a whole heap of letters, some nibbled into mere powder by the busy rat, and some still uninjured, and on top of all a yellow parchment folio bearing in large letters the words, Will of George Pelham, Esquire, of Vale Place, Surrey. <sighs> Pelham got very red as he exclaimed excitedly, Surely this is the lost will. If it is, we owe it to the rat, said George, half thinking Pelham was joking. I must take it at once to father, said Pelham, and he ran down the attic stairs, closely followed by no less excited George and Nanny. See, father, this will, is it right? Will you have Vale Place after all? said Pelham eagerly as he held out the papers. Mr. Carteret took the bundle, looked at the heading, and then turned it hastily over to see the signatures at the end. Yes, it was duly signed and witnessed, and without a doubt was the long-sought will. Why Mr. Pelham should have so carefully concealed his will was never explained, but some people from time immemorial have done odd things with their wills and will probably continue to do so. It was, after all, of little consequence now where it had been found, so long as the will was a true one, and of that no doubt was ever raised. Before many months were over, Mr. Carteret and his family were settled at Vale Place, where the mysterious chest, as Nanny always called it, has the place of honor in the entrance hall. Thank you for joining me as we flipped through the pages of literary magazines today. I had so much fun playing family coach with you and hearing all of those interesting stories, some of them a little bit out of time, but that's okay. I hope that you stay happy, stay healthy, and keep reading.
happy, stay healthy, keep breathing. Stay happy, stay healthy, keep breathing. Until the day comes we meet again. Stay happy, stay healthy, keep breathing, my friend.